Were you recording? Uh, yeah, we're good to go. Ready to talk about Firewalk with me? Oh, shit. What? Is something wrong, or...? No, no, I just, I gotta go tie one on real quick if we're actually gonna get into this. (laughs) We're like babes in the wild. (laughs) (laughs) Or does in the landscape of the mind. It's gonna be so subversive, they're gonna love it. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You've opened my eyes. (laughs) We are a hive mind. We are one. Oh, hey, little nepotiz. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. (laughs) It's wackadoo. Listeners, it is happening again. This is a matter of taste. God damn it, Ian. (laughs) I'm Ian. I'm here with Theo. Hello. And we are talking about Twin Peaks once again because the new series, new season series terminology is coming out. Kind of both? Yeah, kind of both. Kind of both. (laughs) And then you don't even want to get into the way that the British terminology fits into all of that. I haven't checked our demographics recently, but I don't think we have very many British fans, so I'm not, not terribly worried about that. <laughs> but anyway, Twin Peaks is coming back to TV on Showtime, so uh, I still hadn't watched Firewalk with me, and so I was like, I should get on that. <laughs> Why is that so funny? It just is. Like, <laughs> even even people that like I've shown Twin Peaks to, and they they like the show. Mm. It's one of those things where like you you kind of hem and haw if you're gonna skip the middle of season two. Oh yeah. And Fire Walk with Me is one of those things where it's like there's a very small number where it's like you should also watch Fire Walk with Me. I think you'd like it. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy this movie. Is it seems? I think if you're a long-time listener, you probably called that. Yeah. <laughs> you you're on record as like that's, that's not a big fucking surprise. I don't think. Yeah, you're on record as saying you love things that are just aggressively, unabashedly weird. So. And well, sincerely weird. And sincerely weird, and that is something that this movie is in droves. Is sincerely bizarre. Yes. And and. Theo, listeners, here's the thing. There are parts of this movie that I genuinely love. And, like, I even tweeted out at one point, I was just like, I, I freaking love David Lynch. Just the dialogue and his pacing and the actors that he gets sometimes. And then there are other parts of the movie where I'm just like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> Why? Yeah, this is also, like, a deep dive into a lot of the, like, the supernatural weirdness of Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> Which, when it's you know when it's spread out across like the whole, uh, snap my fingers. When it's spread out across like an entire two seasons, mm. it's one thing, but condensed like this, it's completely another. Yeah. Well, and like it, it, it it's funny watching uh like just like, five or ten minutes into the movie, and just seeing the bizarre stuff happening, like, uh, every time uh, I, I come back to Twin Peaks, and I just get, my mind gets fucked again by how weird it is, I just flash back to that first time watching those first few episodes with you in your dorm room back in college, and just, like, after the first Red Room scene, you just leaning forward and kneading your forehead with the heels of your palms. <laughs> Like, just visually encapsulating everything I was feeling watching that show (laughs) for the first time. (laughs) Oh, goodness. But yeah, like, there... It's, like... It was was really cool to see Laura Palmer as a character on screen, beyond just uh, being this, like, haunting presence. Yeah. 
and getting like I think Cheryl Lee is phenomenal phenomenal in this movie. Probably my favorite my favorite scene in the whole movie, and also spoilers for the entire series and the movie. Just get we'll get that out of the way now. My favorite scene in the entire movie is when she goes home. She uh, goes up to her room and she sees Bob. Uh, like going for her diary behind her uh her dresser. Mm-hmm. There's that moment which like the the way that it's filmed and the way that they play up the horror of that moment I just love. But then the thing that I really for whatever reason just connected with is when it, she runs out afterwards and she's hiding behind the bush and she sees her father coming out and the way that she's just like no it can't be him it can't be him. Like that, her performance in that moment, I would like just for whatever reason, I love that moment. It's such like a, it's, I think it's partly because it's, it's one of the few moments in the movie that actually makes sense to me. Like I actually (laughs) was like, it's such a, well, that's, oh God, that's interesting because the emotional reaction then is at such cross purposes (laughs) that like, uh, that combination of emotional turmoil, but intellectual relief. Yeah. <laughs> Where you're like, you're like, thank the gods, a reaction that makes sense. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I understand what's happening here. She went inside, she saw Bob, she came out, she saw her father come out, and she put two and two get together that Bob is her father at the moment. And that is a traumatizing thing to find out because Bob is this evil figure in her life. It's like, okay, I understand what's happening here. Yeah. Fuck if I know what's going on in the rest of the movie. <laughs> and that, that's unfair because, like, I, I understand the literal sequence of events as they're happening and how we get from one place to another for the most part. It's just there are a lot of points where I'm like, well, okay, but why are we seeing this? And why are we seeing this now? And what does this, like, what's the actual, does this movie have an arc to it? Is it just sort of like a naturalistic art film more sort of thing, rather than we're supposed to take something specific from it? I, I don't know. What What are your feelings on this movie, Theo? I mean, I think the film, it's one of those movies where, all right, any any anything that Lynch does is going to be a certain acquired taste, mm-hmm. and I think Twin Peaks is actually like the at least the first season definitely is probably the most approachable of a lot of the stuff he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from things like, well, I don't know, I, I'm kind of hemming and hawing here, but I, I do think out of like, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of what else is in his. Uh, like what else? Well, he's like, I, I've like I've seen the, the Elephant Man, which I think that that's a pretty straightforward movie as yeah. far as it goes. That's Dune, true. Dune is another one he directed, which gets away from him because there's just so much to it. But there's still like it, you, the movie basic on a basic level makes sense. I mean, yeah, I I think I agree with you there. But those also aren't those movies aren't quite like Lynch's id running wild. No. That like so much like a lot of his other work. I've been uh, wanting to see Mulholland Drive because that like was nominated for an Oscar. I, I I really like Mulholland Drive, but I think like especially the first season of Twin Peaks is a good intro to a lot of people to just Lynch's like his more like core works, the ones that like you see them and think like immediately, oh that's David Lynch, like Blue Velvet, like things like that. Um, yeah, or Eraser, <laughs> Eraserhead, which is. Definitely aggressively opaque. Um, but I think this movie is also at times aggressively opaque. I think, uh, like, we've got sort of cross purposes here. There's, there's generally like three different things this movie is trying to accomplish. Um, and I think one of them we didn't really need. I, I think it does all three of them well, but one of them we didn't really need. The one we don't really need is this is the story of, you know, whatever happened to Laura Palmer, basically. Um, and I don't know if we absolutely need that story to be, like, laid out brick by brick in front of us. You know? I, I don't think it's necessary for Twin Peaks to work. 
Um, that's why I don't think, that's why I don't always suggest this movie to people when I introduce Twin Peaks to them. I'll say, like, oh, well, this is, you know, there's this movie, but you don't really have to watch it. Um, because I don't think we need that story exactly. Uh, one of the, the second thing that, it, uh, that it's there for is just to allow Cheryl Lee to, like, you know, go and be Laura Palmer and, you know, uh, for her to work with Lynch and them to do something together because he's, you know, he's spent a lot of time in interviews talking about how impressed that he was with her original audition. That's the reason that, you know, they even came up with her cousin in the first place was to give her more to do on the show. Like it's, it's just more work for her. And that's excellent because yeah, I like you're captivated every minute she's on screen. Um, and then the third thing it does, and I think it also accomplishes this, but it's, like I mentioned before talking about um, Eraserhead, it's, it's aggressively opaque, is it wants to give you... I'm trying to think of uh, a word to describe it. I wanted to say eschatology, but that's not exactly it. Um, it wants to establish like the background philosophy, the, the like wave frequency of the world that Twin Peaks takes place in. Um, and I think it does that well, but because of that, it's, you know imparsable and just like outright bizarre. Um, so it's difficult to put straightforward definitions onto any, anything that happens in the black lodge or what have you. It's difficult to give any like real, real description of what actually happens there. Do you know what I mean? Like you can, you can say, okay, well this is what happened in that scene. But it's kind of that, um, oh god, it's kind of like that trope, uh, that you see, um, who did it? Contact. Contact. Where, uh, the aliens take like, oh, this is a form that, you know, will, it works for you. Except that's them being really kind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the Black Lodge scenes are things that are happening in this absolutely, like, you know, completely um, indescribable, ineffable uh, dimension. And Lynch is being kind enough to present them to us with forms that won't immediately drive us mad. <laughs> the only issue is th- they don't make any sense because this is like, this is all you can grasp. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, David Lynch has composed this, like, massive you know, mythology that no human mind can possibly comprehend. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he was very effective in giving the impression that that's what's going on. Yeah. Well, that you definitely get the impression that there's this, like, this, like, spiraling, like, uh, fractal reality going on behind this that you'll never reach the bottom of. These, like, echoes of meaning and we're only grasping like a small part of it because it's what our brain can comprehend. I, I think like that impression comes across very well um, because it's so aggressively bizarre. Yeah. And that, that like there are a couple different things that, that, that I want to talk about. Like one of them is the, the whole idea of like, uh, there's, like five different things I want to talk about. Um, first of all, I have the entire series. I, I got that Blu-ray set that they released a few years ago called The Entire Mystery. So it's got mm-hmm. the entire TV series. It's got the movie. It's got all of the deleted scenes from the movie, which they call the missing pieces. And it's got some uh, special features on it with like interviews with the cast, uh, different interesting things. Um one of the things on the special features that I found very fascinating was uh, David Lynch sat down with uh, Ray Weiss, Gracie Briskie, and Cheryl Lee for like uh, an interview slash dinner that I'm guessing the studio set up for them because it does not look like they're in a real restaurant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, they did this like, just a couple of years ago, actually, I think specifically for the box set, uh, before there was even talk about the uh, the return of the series, because they don't talk about that at all in the in this thing. But it's called Between Two Worlds, and uh, it starts off 
with in the most lynchiest of ways. <laughs> it starts off with David Lynch at, saying, uh, this, "This is a this is a happy day because I'm sitting here with uh, with uh, Leland Palmer, Sarah Palmer, and Laura Palmer, and I I wanted to ask them a few questions about uh, the time since." Uh, since uh, we last saw them, so Leland. Uh, well, I'll, I'll start with Sarah because you're the one, only one who's still alive. And like he does, <laughs> <laughs> he addresses them in character, and they respond in character. And I'm they like they agreed to this. I'm assuming, and they knew that it was going to happen because they give very interesting answers. But yeah, he starts off this thing basically just addressing them as their characters. And asking them, so uh, I wanted you to tell us a bit about where you are now, 25 years later, and uh, what sort of memories you have of the time uh, uh, when uh, all of you were still alive and living together. And each of them gives some really interesting uh, answers that I'm assuming were improvised on the spot, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. By that, by that I'm assuming you, they were also in character. Yes. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> Um, so that's going to be my question, but context clues. I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, they, they, they respond in character. And, uh, it's, it's this really fascinating thing where half the time, like, this is, this is a really, this is really cool. And the other part of me is like, now, David, are you just doing this because you don't know what to write for the next series? And so you're going back to the actors for ideas and making them do this weird sort of improvisational exercise to get ideas from them. Not necessarily an exploitative way, but I don't know. It, it, I mean, it's it's David Lynch. It's got this just off, off, awkward feeling to it. But like then they do actually, he addresses them as the actors and they, they have a, a really nice discussion about the series and about the movie, which is cool. Um... But there, there was a, the reason I, I thought of that just now is because there was a comment that one of them made about uh, the way that the, the, Grace Zabriskie brought up a scene from the series where, like, when she, I think it's when Leland calls her to tell her that Laura is dead and she just starts screaming, and it's like this very long scream, and she mentioned how, like, in uh, a screening that she went to, during that scene, as she's screaming, like, a few people in the audience start laughing, and, uh, like, there, there's this whole discussion about that, and uh, ultimately it comes back to uh, David Lynch saying something about, well, I think you're just expressing the, the, the true and utter horror, uh, the depth of that horror, it's just, it's just too, too much to even comprehend and uh, for the first time I ever, which I don't know why I never thought of it in this context before, but for the first time I ever, I made a connection between Twin Peaks and Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. And that idea of the these unspeakable horrors that are so, like, they're too much for the human brain to comprehend. Uh, and that's what I made me think, like, you talking just now about the the Black Lodge and everything that happens there was what made me think of that. So... Long story, took took a long way getting there, but that's that's what I was thinking of as you said that, and it did make me start to think about those scenes in a different context, um, especially now having read more Lovecraft and having that as a little bit more of an idea of like, okay, if we're getting more into the weird fiction side of things, there's there is precedence for this outside of Twin Peaks, uh, even though Twin Peaks is still its own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I had a particular point there. <laughs> um, if people were looking for particular points, they probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Oh my gosh! <laughs> if you're looking for concise, structured arguments, I don't I, think this is your first stop. Yeah, and then throw on top of that that we're talking about David Lynch. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is not the place to start. That's right. Um. Back to the movie itself. <laughs> I actually find it really interesting that, um, in terms of like, I guess you can you can talk about the Black Lodge and the effects that it has 
on uh, Twin Peaks itself um, that it God, it's kind of it turns the place into um, like I think the trope they refer to as a weirdness magnet where like it just draws certain people there. Um, but I think it's interesting just to look at like uh, we have we have the it film coming out later this year. And it, I think, it, the creature, is very similar to the Black Lodge, the entity. Because I think, like, in terms of, like, places that have personalities, and I mean that in the, like, the strictest sense, like, the Black Lodge as an entity outside of the entities that exist in it. Um, Derry's probably really close to that. And I think it's interesting to draw kind of parallels that these are both places that, um, feed on misery in one way or another. They they feed on like misery and fear and discomfort. And in terms of like it and uh Twin Peaks, we have those in, you know, very like very literal terms, whereas it like actively feeds on the fears and, you know, uh the imagination of children to uh continue like living, it uses it to sustain itself. And in Twin Peaks, we have the residents of the Black Lodge sustaining themselves on Garmin Bogia. Um, this notion of like, uh, <clears throat> you know, fear and hatred and any kind of like, uh, dark, uh, tortured feeling they can provoke in a human being. Um, See, okay, so this is another one of the big things that I want to talk about is because I was having a discussion with someone else about this the other day. Um, the whole, and it's a discussion we've had on the the podcast before, the whole idea of like, okay, what's there in the text? Uh, the idea of death of the author or the opposite of death of the author. How much do we take from outside of the thing itself to figure out what's actually going on? And, uh, like in, uh, I, I think it, it's something that I struggle with when I, I'm met with stuff like Twin Peaks because, I'm sure that there are tons of message boards online where I could look at a breakdown of each scene and people could explain to me, well, this is what this means, this is what this is, what's going on here. And after I reading that, I probably would understand it a lot more. But there's a part of me that's just like, why, why does it, why does it have to be so esoteric? Why do I have to get into discussions with tons of, I, like and even as I'm saying that, I'm like, well, isn't that cool that people get into discussions about it? But the thing is about. I think. Uh, I, I if I if I may interject. Yes, you may because I'm floundering. Uh, I, I do think that's cool that it provokes this discussion with other people to try and parse out like meaning from it, and, you know, try and extract some sort of uh, some sort of definitive meaning. I, I do also think that that impulse isn't always the best. Like, looking for a definitive meaning in things, that always comes down to, like, that sort of didactic high school English approach of, like, well, what does this scene mean? Well, you know, this symbolizes this. That's not always the case. But I would go in even the opposite direction where, like, I I think Twin Peaks, um, the Twin Peaks universe, if you will, the Twin Peaks cinematic universe, because... Uh, because I do think it's quite elegantly constructed. Um, I think a lot of it does hang together really well. Um, so that I honestly do think that there's enjoyment to be had on both ends of the spectrum. Where, like, you can go with other people and have these discussions and arguments about, like, okay, in this, like, highly expressionist kind of thing that's going on here with the Red Room and the man from another place, what the hell does any of that mean? <laughs> you can have like an argument or a discussion or you can build your own understanding there. Um, I think like any good philosophical discussion, there are things that are ineffable that are meant to be fought and, you know, struggled with on the other end of the spectrum. If you're watching this in a vacuum, I also think there's enjoyment to be had out of it there just in the fact that this is incomprehensible and not meant to be understood. Like I think the, the emotional texture of the scenes gives you enough information to understand the rest of the story. Now, to be fair, that I'm applying to the rest of Twin Peaks. Firewalk with me on its own? On its own, I don't think so. Um, I think it's just a little too, a little too bizarre to quite give you what you need. Um, however, with the backing of the rest of the series, I, I do think, um, 
you can get what you need out of these scenes without uh without trying to parse that context i think the like the emotional weight of what's happening carries through provided provided that you watch this after you watch the series even though it's a prequel there's no way you should watch this before you watch no Trinity. no be, i would never it'd be even that. more it'd be even more incomprehensible yeah <laughs> yeah it, like oh man again it's so much yeah i like oh god that i i can't even imagine what that would be like yeah well that, that's another thing like it's a fascinating movie in the the line lineage of uh Movies that are technically technically prequels, but were made after the original thing. Well, I guess that's the definition of a prequel. <laughs> um, but because it, it, there are parts of it that feel as if it's, 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 its own thing. There are parts of it that feel like it was written as its own thing, separate from the series. And then other things where I'm just like, well, if you haven't watched the series, then like there's no point to having the scene in here. Why, why spend time with these characters here? Or like, or you, you won't, like you were saying, you won't have any clue what's going on here. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, as I mentioned, the the missing pieces are included in that box that I have, which are all the deleted or extended scenes from the movie. Have you watched any of those? I have not actually. I haven't uh, had a chance to because the box that I have only has. Uh, season one and season two, it doesn't yeah. have Firewalk with me on it, unfortunately. Um, they, like, there is enough, like, there's a, a whole other hour and a half of deleted scenes, um, which I just watched this evening before sitting down to, uh, to listen to, the, to record the podcast, not listen to. Crap, my, my brain, I'm trying to hold on and stay coherent in the, this mind bendy world. Um, and there, there are a ton of scenes. There are a bunch of scenes that there's, there's a handful of scenes where I'm like, you know, I feel like that should have been in the movie. And then there are a ton of scenes where I'm just like, okay, I understand why that was cut out. And a lot of it is is stuff having to do with like other characters in Twin Peaks, where it's like, oh, this was basically just us touching base with them to see what they were doing during this time, but it doesn't really. You don't need that for a movie. If you were doing this as like a, a mini series for TV, then maybe you would include that stuff because it's like, oh well, we love those characters. Of course, we want to see them again. But and it, trying to include all of that in one movie is a little unwieldy. You gotta have a it, like somehow David Lynch showed restraint and was like, okay, we gotta focus this movie a little bit more so that's not four hours long. <laughs> um, but uh. What was, the, what was I going to say? We were talking about understanding the movie, and like we wouldn't suggest watching it without having seen the TV series. Oh. Now, to be fair, I do know. Um, I'm trying to think of. I know of at least one person who watched this uh, before seeing the series and is still a huge fan of the show. Um, so it can work, I yeah. guess. If you've, <laughs> I think if you've got the disposition to like, I don't know. Well, see, I don't know what I'm trying a, to say. I don't, I don't want to make it seem like this weird, like, fucking elitist thing. No, but... It's, but it's definitely one of those things where it's hard to describe why you like it. Yeah, because <laughs> that's the thing. Is like, even with all the stuff that I don't... I feel like goes way over my head or I don't get, I still I still feel like it works. Like, it's presented... Like, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, but this is exactly the way I would film it if I were doing it myself. <laughs> I know that's a weird statement to say, but it's like, that's sort of the thing with David Lynch is that, like, I don't always understand where he's going with things or why he's doing certain things, but damn it if he doesn't do it well. <laughs> um, one of the things I want to touch back on with the whole idea of, like, the the theorizing and conjecture that and discussion that you can get into about these movies, the, the thing that I think was bothering me about it thinking about it, not just in the context of this, but in other, in the context of other series, like I was talking to a, a, uh, my housemate about uh, American Gods and the theories that people have about that online, is that there are... I, I love discussion and I love uh, theorizing and I love uh, those sorts of uh, that sort of living community. The thing that really bothers me is when people just are feel like definitively they're right about certain things. Yeah. Without presenting a whole ton of evidence beyond, well, that's the way I feel about it. Um, I also, even with a whole ton of evidence. Well, yeah, even with a whole ton of evidence, it's like, 
I don't know. I don't think there's any right. I think, and I think I've said this before, actually, on the podcast. I don't think there's any right way to read a story. I think there are definite wrong ways, but yeah. I don't think there's any right way. Yeah, because everyone brings their own stuff to it, and everyone's going to find something different in it because we are all different as humans. <laughs> that's that's our big lesson. That's our big lesson. That's your um, take <laughs> Okay, another thing that I wanted to touch on. Another reason why I I get a little frustrated with with uh again i just said listeners you just heard me say i think david lynch makes things very well i don't always understand them but i think he's very good at what he does that said it does like i i do have to get i get a little annoyed or frustrated with him when like i i watch uh in addition to watching the deleted scenes i watched a bunch of interviews like archival interviews from when the movie came out and stuff and one of the one of the crew members was talking about how uh, David Lynch would be, like, in the middle of a scene, like, oh, well, like, they're going to clean something off uh, a table or, like, move something, and he's like, no, leave that there, and they're like, well, why, what what, what does that mean? No, this is what it was. It was a, I have a specific example I can remember, so I'm not just floundering. Uh, The actor who plays Jacques, and he was talking about those lines in uh in the dance club scene where he's just sort of like drunk off his ass saying like he says i am uh i am mr went or something like that and in the context of the movie i was like what the fuck then he starts talking about how like well it's sort of an interesting thing for this character to say like he is He's like the embodiment of things. He, like his brain is just gone. It's went. It's uh, and like oh, he, it's went as in like past tense that sort of thing. That moment I was cool. Then the guy proceeds to talk about the next line, which is I am as blank as a fart. And he says, "So we're filming. The, I'm reading the script, and I turn to David and I ask him, so wait, what does that mean?'" And David says to me, "I don't know. What do you think it means?" <laughs> And the moment, like, there's a part of me that loves David Lynch for that, and a part of me that hates him for that. Because, like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, though, like, just hearing David Lynch talk about stuff, it, it, it is that, like, it's straddling that line of, like, artistic elitism and snobbishness and pretentiousness and stuff like that, but there is a certain genuineness, genuineness about him where... Like, I would trust David Lynch to do that sort of thing, but there are other directors I think would be trying to do that sort of thing, and it would just be like they're trying to be weird. It's that genuine weirdness you were talking about. It's the sincerity you were talking right. about. Right, and I think there's there's definitely a sincerity there in that. that like, yeah, it's it's kind of a flippant remark, but then I also think there's, there's layers to that where it's like, I, you know, you do want to see, I suppose, and I've... But, I've never worked on a film before, so I could, like, could be, I'm just talking out my ass here, really. Um, but you're a but writer, and you played D&D, which is kind of acting. Yeah, I guess, yeah. It's, it's a weird kind of improv. Um, actually, yeah, much more when you're DMing, and you have to keep coming up with characters yeah. on the fly. Uh, cause you guys always go exactly where I didn't fucking plan <laughs> you to go. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, there, I think there's definitely that impulse to be like, okay, well, no, I know who this character is, but I don't. Like, I, I, I know who the character I wrote is, but that's not the character who's going to show up on screen. Mm-hmm. That character is the result of, you know, several thousand different hands touching it, or what have you. Um, probably not several thousand. I'm, oh, be counting the audience and their interpretation of it, maybe. But um, it's a thing of like, okay, this is out of my head now. And it's in the actor's hands. Well, yeah, what do you think it means? I, it's more important right now what you think it means than it is what I meant when I wrote it, you know? So it's sort of that kind of remove. And again, like, it's, it's one of those things where, like, if you, you trust Lynch if you've, if you've already bought into him at yeah. that point. I can imagine if you're watching that interview for the first time, you're like, fuck off. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you, if you've already bought in. Yeah. You're with him, and yeah, it is. It's kind of a dick thing to say. Yeah, but but, but it's <laughs> I don't think it's. 
I don't think it's ever flippant, and I think he does... You know that he does sincerely give a shit about these characters, and it's not like he doesn't know what it means. I'm sure he will maybe... I don't know. He he, he probably has his own... He thought it sounds good. Yeah. But you know he knows what it means. Yeah, well, and and that's a... It's interesting hearing you talk about it that way, because what you're saying right now is actually... uh, Reminds me a lot of something that Grace Zabriskie said in that uh, interview I watched, uh, the sort of 25 years later thing, where she was talking about how one of the things that she has happened to her a lot over the years since Twin Peaks is she'll be working with a younger director, and uh, uh, the director will say to her, well, like, inevitably, the question will be will come up like, so what was it like working with David Lynch or like what, what sort of things, what sort of things did he do that I could do that could like either make me better or make you more comfortable or like help out with a scene or whatever. And, uh, the thing that she said was that like the thing that she, she, she will tell these directors is the thing, one of the things she loves about David Lynch is when he shows up on the day, uh, he uh, he uses what's there, and she she she'll, she'll tell directors to see what's there. Like you can come with to the you can come to the uh, come to the set on the day, and you might have your own idea in your own head uh, of what you want it to look like, what what you're imagining it will look like. But something that David Lynch does that is apparently unique to him is that he will he uh, he doesn't do that he'll like he does have an idea of what he wants to do but he'll let whatever's happening on that day or whatever whatever's happening in the scene or the actors he'll let that affect it and let something happen that he didn't necessarily plan on or imagine mm-hmm. um and it, it like now that i think of it and it, it it very much connects back to like his uh to like Zen Buddhism, I know that that's part of like where his philosophy comes from, like in his general life philosophy. And it, I think I mentioned on the podcast before I took a class on Zen in a college, which makes me an expert. No, I'm not an expert, but one of the things that they did talk about in that class is this idea of no mind, not attaching to anything in particular. And, uh, I, it's not exactly the same thing. I don't know. I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, but there is something about. Well, there's that there's that principle in Taoism too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a bowl is most useful when it's empty. That yeah. you know when you're open to all, you're more flexible when you're open to more possibilities than filling yourself with other things. Yeah, and like the idea in Zen painting of like, I there there's no. There's no real erasing or going back over something. It's just each stroke is the stroke that's there, and that's what it is. And like Bill Evans talks about that on in the kind of blue liner notes and comparing it to jazz and how it's like that these pieces are what they are. It's not we didn't like re, we did different takes of the song, but they're all all those different takes are single takes. It's not like we overdubbed anything or went back and fixed something in one of the recordings. It's just like that's that's what happened and that's what it's going to be. Um, so that is fascinating. And the fact that, like, I can connect what I'm seeing on screen back to those sorts of philosophies is why I give David Lynch a pass when he says something like that. I don't know. What does it mean to you? Because I know it's not, it's not, he's not saying it that way, the way that I just said it sort of flippantly or like, well, fuck if I know, what do you think it means? He's saying it like, well, what does it mean to you? What, 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 what are you going to bring to this? And it's, it, I can imagine as an actor, like I've only done a little bit of acting back in high school and like on stage and stuff. But as as an actor, I can imagine that's that can be very scary, but also very liberating and also very uh, encouraging and uh, empowering. Well, I mean, to bring it back around, it's the exact same thing he does at the beginning of that interview that you were talking about with. Um you know, the Palmers in character (laughs) where it's like, you have this faith in your actors that you just give them an open-ended question and like, Mm -hmm. yeah, what, like answer me, (laughs) tell tell me, you know, give me your characters insights on this because you trust them enough that they, you know, they, they sort of share. Not only do they, do you accept that, or you, 
<clears throat> you trust enough that they share the same vision of this world that you've created. You, you, you're placing that faith in them, but also having that willingness to adapt whatever your impressions of these characters are to fit these actors' impressions because they're equally valid. Mm. That that kind of like tightrope to walk, I suppose. Yeah. So that's cool. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of if like where to go from here, because we could go on and on about philosophy and that sort of stuff. Yeah, we could sit around and talk about philosophy all night. I mean, <laughs> um, I don't think we'd get anywhere. No. We could definitely talk about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, do you have any like favorite parts of the movie? How about David Bowie being there randomly? <laughs> I mean, David Bowie rules. Yes. There's, <laughs> there's that. Um, there is, like, okay, that's one thing that I thought should have been in the movie, is there's deleted scenes with his character that don't necessarily make, like, it's still really weird and esoteric what's going on with him, but it gives a little bit more context, at least, that something weird is going on with him. Yeah. Uh, in deleted scenes, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about specific... There are a couple specific, like, exchanges, but I just really like any time Cheryl Lee gets to play with uh, play off of Ray Wise. Oh, I think yeah. They're really, they're really good together. Like, yeah. And I feel... I feel that relationship really strongly. Um, I just think they're two really talented actors. Yeah. But yeah, that, that like that those were really the moments that I connected with most in the movie. The moments that made me really like engage with the movie were were those moments at. I think that most of those moments were at her at the Palmer house. Like that yeah. uh, that dinner scene where he he's telling her to wash her hands and stuff and like even that like they again it's it's stuff that like I I sort of understand what's going on <laughs> um and just seeing like the thing that I found that was really interesting for me in this movie is that you see almost. Like that, there are, there's a division between when Leland is Leland and when it's, it's sort of Bob commandeering things. And one of the things I found interesting in the movie is trying to figure out in, in different scenes, okay, is how much of this is Leland and how much of this is Bob? Mm. Which of course made me think of Silent Hill too. <laughs> and Mary slash Maria. Which, again, Twin Peaks is cited as an influence, so... Uh, but, uh... There, that was another deleted scene that I would have liked to have seen in the movie, is there's a scene that... It, it's it's essentially, uh... There's, it's the Palmer sitting down to dinner, and Leland is, uh... Telling them about the Norwegians are coming. The stuff that happens in the very first episode of the TV series... He, he actually mentions to them, the Norwegians are coming. He, the scene starts off with him, uh, like, just being super silly, walking up out of the basement. I can't, and, like, saying at the top of his lungs, like, I am hungry, but sort of like in a, a jokey dad sort of way. And then it, he says something in Nor, uh, Norwegian to the other two. And in typical David Lynch fashion, I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? But, and, like, I, I like it when David Lynch does stuff like that where he starts off a scene really weird, but then a few lines into the scene, you oh, I understand what's going on. He says, like, oh, I want you guys to learn this Norwegian phrase, which is basically just, hello, welcome, my name is Leland Palmer. And for each of them, they're like, oh, you mean Sarah Palmer or Laura Palmer. And he has them practice the phrase, and then they, like, grasp hands and start, like, chanting it to each other almost, but they're, like obviously just sort of like amused at how silly how silly the Norwegian language sounds to them or something like that mm-hmm. and then it ends basically with Sarah and Laura just bursting out laughing and I it's the sort of thing where they they linger on the shot long enough that I'm pretty sure there was some genuine laughter in there somewhere 
But it's just like, this is the one scene of the Palmers, like, having, like, just uh, the one happy moment you ever see of the three Palmers having in the entire history of the show and the movie. It's this nice little family moment that I think would have been nice to have in the movie. And then there, there are other scenes in the deleted scenes that are like extended scenes where I'm just like, nope, still makes no fucking sense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like uh, other things where I'm like, okay, it's just supposed to be bizarre. There's not, there's not really anything you could read into this, but it doesn't, you don't need to. Like at the beginning when, uh, uh, Chet, uh, Chet and Kiefer Sutherland, because I can't remember Kiefer Sutherland's character. I think his name is Stan- Sam Stanley. Yeah, Agent Sam Stanley. Uh, the two agents at the beginning of the movie, they're at the diner, and it starts off with them asking the dude in the back room uh, about uh, Teresa Banks, and, like, it just has the conversation, and then there's a wide shot as they're leaving the room, and the guy's in this weird back room, one dude's fiddling around with a light bulb, another guy's, like, curled up in the corner, the lighting is really strange, and the light bulb's flashy, and it's just like, well, this is just the fucking weirdest thing I've ever seen, and they never touch <laughs> on it again. And it's never addressed. <laughs> Chet is also Chris Isaac, so yeah. there's that. <laughs> like, I, I don't actually... Like, I feel like I should be more familiar with Chris Isaac, but I'm looking at his... Like, I, yeah, I definitely should be, too. I only know him from Wicked Game. Okay, yeah. Uh, Wikipedia is saying he's an American rock musician and occasional actor, so... um, But, uh... I will say... Oh, shit. Uh, he was the SWAT commander in Silence of the yeah, Lambs. Yeah, I saw that, too. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go on. Yeah, I, I will say... I found uh, Chris Isaac in that FBI suit very attractive. Um, <laughs> but that's not important. Why did I mention that? <laughs> um, I liked that opening sequence. I thought it was cool. Like, it, it, it's one of the people in the behind the scenes stuff mentions how it's sort of almost like an entirely different movie, but it. The, the, because they have the connection there of, like, the ring and the killer, uh, it, it, it's, it's cool to sort of see that, that stuff play out. And it's, again, it's filmed really well. It's, like, in the acting, like, I enjoy those, those beats between the characters. And, like, I love the, the, uh, the waitress at the diner. Just mm. how she's just, like, <laughs> Do you want to ask about our specials? We don't have any. <laughs> like, that's just beautiful. Oh, man. Yeah, I get, I do get why it kind of loops around to become part, like, obviously, to not entirely alienate audiences. It needs to connect in some way to what's going on in Twin Peaks, but... On the other hand, I kind of like part of me doesn't want it to Mm. like I like I guess because I like the expansion of um, the expansion of this idea of the Black Lodge uh, like out further. You know what Mm. I mean? Like I'm fine with the ring being part of it, but uh, I don't know. I liked uh, now I don't I don't think it falls into this trap. But I do think in uh, there are other stories where they think they're broadening the world, but they're making it smaller. Oh, do you know what I mean? Because everything ties back in. Yeah, I can understand that. So I don't think this is the that's the case here. I think it does broaden the world a little bit, but I think it would have been more interesting to kind of even broaden it out more. Yeah. I guess. I think I think that's but again. I'm. It's it's one of those things where you're talking about hypotheticals at this point, yeah. so I'm kind of of two minds of it, where it's like, I don't even know how well that would work if they did that. So I'm not, like, 100% willing to stand behind that point. I just think it'd be interesting. I, I love Twin Peaks, but I also kind of want to know more about that world, you know? Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, it's, it's about Twin Peaks. It's, I think that's... <clears throat> Okay. Okay. Uh, it took me a second. You mean you like the town of Twin Peaks, but you want to more uh, know more about just the world that it is present in? Right. Right. Okay. I, I think that's it's a strength of the show because I don't think it's you know it's one of the things where it's like 
that's why it's effective. Yeah. You know, like, I like Twin Peaks. I want to know more about the world that that takes place in, but it wouldn't be as effective if you knew. Like, it's just because mm-hmm. it's Twin Peaks. Like, that's why it works. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a strength that it makes you want to know more, but it shouldn't ever give you that because it'd be less focused and less effective. Well, and that's in- it's interesting because I think that's the same... Like, what you were talking about before, this idea of when uh, people try to broaden something, it ends up, like, tightening or making the world smaller. I think that mm-hmm. was one of the traps that the Western-made Silent Hill games fell into, is that they started trying to, like, they they were trying to recreate so much of the magic of the, the Japanese-made games that they started just establishing these set rules about, okay, this is how you do Silent Hill, and it ended up making it very bland. Like, every protagonist who goes to Silent Hill has to have a deep and dark secret that will be revealed by the end of the story. Um, Mm -hmm. Which, Harry Mason in the first game is just a dude. I mean, you find out about his daughter, but that's not his journey in that game. It's, I mean, not to go way down that rabbit hole... (laughs) That's for another podcast. It is a rabbit hole. (laughs) It is a rabbit hole. We should get around to that podcast at some point. Yes. Um, We keep talking about it. Yeah. And that's also partially what I was thinking of when I was talking about people online who get so convinced that they're right about whatever they're talking about. Don't have to go look too far in the Silent Hill fandom to find those sorts of people. Um, But uh, it it is a, like... uh, you talking about that in, in reference to Twin Peaks, it, it it makes me appreciate Twin Peaks more, and, and honestly, it makes me appreciate Silent Hill more and uh, understand it a little bit better, because it is that same sort of thing is where, like, I want to understand what's going on, but I don't want it to... I also... Like, I... This is a such a difficult discussion to... Uh, I That a lot of people get into when it comes to uh, horror specifically, I think, because horror so much has to do with mystery a lot of the time um, or inexplicable things um, or sci-fi or fantasy speculative fiction, because there's so much, there's so much that can happen. So there's so much more that you can conjecture about. Like you wouldn't look at a show like uh, bones, for example, that's just the one that I'm thinking of and say like, Yes, but what would, uh, like, uh, what would, uh, Dr. Fate, what if Dr. Fate is the reason all this is happening? It's just, like you were talking before about, like, wrong interpretations. You don't need to do that. It doesn't make sense. You don't bring that sort of theoretical interpretation into talking about a realistic show. Mm. Um, but in reference to Twin Peaks and Silent Hill and things like it, I want that level of mystery, and I also want to be able to understand what's going on. And it's the sort of it's. I think it, the key is focusing on the characters and their journey and their journey. I don't need to know like every rule of how the Black Lodge works. I just want to make sure I understand what Agent Cooper is going through as he goes through the the Black Lodge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. Like, there's so much else to unpack there, but I think a lot of people fall into traps of, like, oh, well, I guess we need to, uh, I guess we need to establish the rules of this universe a little bit further. And it's like, like, I, I fall on both sides of the line with that. It's sort of like a yes and no type thing. And, uh, I don't know if I can get more concrete or specific about it because of that. And that, I, again, it, at times it feels like a cop out, but I don't, Feel like it is. <laughs> <laughs> At times it feels like a cop out, but it's not. You know, <laughs> I said it's not. <laughs> I know, and yeah, it's it's so difficult figuring out how best to talk about this sort of stuff. A <laughs> hundred episodes, and uh, I don't know if I'm any better about talking about this sort of stuff than I was before. <clears throat> It does have a little bit to do with the whole thing of dream logic that comes up time and again when we're talking about Hannibal or Twin Peaks or Silent Hill or any of this stuff. Yeah, and that that also comes into, like, you know, talking about different... When we talk about things making sense, there's obviously several different 
like lenses you can view that from. Like, does it make logical sense? Does it make emotional sense? You know, does it make thematic sense? That that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember who it was. I, I remember reading some. I can't remember if it was like a Hollywood screenwriter or an author or someone was talking about how it, it was an established writer of some sort, and he was talking about writers coming, like young writers coming up to him, and they'll present works to him in workshop or something, and they'll say. Uh, they'll worry that they're being too preachy when it, the question that they should be asking is, am I being clear? Uh, which I found really interesting and also resonated with me to a certain degree because I think that's a thing that a lot of writers, especially early on, uh, don't necessarily think about. They're thinking about, like, because, because it's such a solitary thing and you're just in your head the whole time, you're thinking about, like, oh, well, this is the way that this is happening and I know what this means, I hope I'm not beating the reader over the head with it, and then you bring it to someone else, and they're like, I I did not get that, what? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that, uh, that comes through a lot, just, just in workshop, you know? Mm-hmm. Where, like, I, I could definitely remember workshop classes where you'd have questions for people, and they'd have to like maybe interrupt and be like, well, you know, that means this. And it's like, oh, well, that didn't fucking come through at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where, yeah, it's it's very difficult to get outside of your own head because you know how all the parts fit together. <laughs> yeah. It's making sure that it's just clear enough to the audience. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, exceptionally clear, if you want to go the dramatic irony route. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like we've talked about this movie a lot, and yet we haven't really. <laughs> I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Firewalk With Me? or, or twi- Well, actually, that's one thing that I wanted to sort of close on was uh, with the series coming up. Uh, I haven't read a whole ton about it, and I feel feel like they've been really good about, like, keeping things under wraps for the most part. Um, But how are you feeling about it? I'm excited. I I haven't seen anything about it. I've kind of purposely kept myself, like, from seeing anything. Mm -hmm. The only thing I saw was the cast list, which is just bonkers. And that's actually something I wanted to ask you about, because, like, I don't doubt... well, let me start over. There's a part of me that looks at that cast list and I'm just like, that's such a random-ass bunch of people. That's awesome. And then there's another part of me that's... All, that There's like a conspiracy theorist part of my brain that's like, okay, how many of these people are actually in the series and how much are just there as like almost red herrings so to to make sure... To, to like throw people off the scent of what's really happening like or to, to prevent spoilers from getting out or prevent people from conjecturing, oh, well, if this actor's in it, then this must be happening, or... But I don't know, it might just be a, he got a bunch of random-ass cool people to be in it. <laughs> they might. It might be a ton of people with just walk-on. It, it might be kind of both, where it is, like, a, a ton of people to allow that kind of wiggle room, and then, you know, just people who have walk-on roles. Yeah. Like, like Eddie Vedder. <laughs> yeah, or Trent Reznor. Or... Trent Reznor. <laughs> or uh, I'm trying to think of who else. I'm pretty sure. Else? I, I, I'm trying to remember what names. I'm remembering Laura Dern, but she's probably going to be an actual character because he's worked with oh, her yeah. before. No, Laura Dern's like a Lynch regular. I'm sure. I'm sure she's probably got an actual role. <laughs> Cut to two weeks from now, where it's just like, well, she's nope. She's not really. She yeah. walked on screen and died, and I don't think we're going to see her again. <laughs> Although, it's Twin Peaks. Dying doesn't necessarily mean you'll never see them again. It's true. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, I want to say not... Or John Belushi. I want to know... I want to know what David Kackner is going to be doing <laughs> in this. Or not John Belushi, Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi, yeah. Um, David Kackner. It's just... It, it, it's... It, <laughs> Slight tangent. It's interesting to find out what 
famous people, which famous people know each other. Like, uh, since American Gods came out recently, Stars also had on demand, uh, the Neil Gaiman Dream Dangerously documentary, which was basically a film crew followed him around for that last signing tour he did. Uh huh. And it's interspersed with interviews with other people. And like, they had, like, the most, some of the most random people talking about Neil Gaiman, like Bill Hader. Apparently has had, I don't know if he's friends with Neil Gaiman, but like they've had dinner together and he had stories about hanging out with Neil Gaiman. And I'm like, okay, Bill Hader. <laughs> I really want to know what Ernie Hudson's doing. I'm just, I'm looking over like the cast list now. Yeah. Yeah, this is so many people. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this just has to be everybody in the background of every scene. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if, like, Eddie Vedder or Trent Reznor was playing at, a at, a the, uh, the bar or whatever, where the Nightingales played or whatever. That band was called The Owls. Mm. Um, also, isn't Mara Queen Reznor Trent Reznor's daughter? Wife. Wife. Okay. Such a random assortment of people. One of the things I find so fascinating about David Lynch is all the actors talk about how how much they love working with him and how sweet he is to them and how comfortable he makes them feel. And uh, like watching him in interviews, he seems like a very a very kind person. It's interesting that you like his stories that the stuff that he writes and that he films. They just go into those, the, like, the depths of it, human depravity and tragedy sometimes. Uh, and I, I wonder about the fact that there aren't more, like, tender... There, there are tender moments, at least in, this, in the TV series. And I think there may even be a few in the movie, although I can't remember them off the top of my head. But it's interesting that they... The, like someone who seems to have such like a positive life philosophy at least to an outsider makes such dark stuff but I guess I shouldn't talk because I am into that dark stuff so <laughs> what does that say about me yeah I don't know <laughs> I think that's about all I have to say about David Lynch at the moment though <laughs> I think I think that's what I've got Maybe this summer we can talk about Silent Hill. <laughs> I'm sure we can make room. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. Well, listeners, I we hope that you've enjoyed our musings and philosophizing and theorizing or anti-theorizing and discussion of Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me and the series and David Lynch and the upcoming series. I'm excited for it too. Like e even as much as David Lynch frustrates me sometimes, I know that like like this movie, watching this movie was just like a joy, well most of it was a joy to watch because there's nothing like David Lynch. Or at least not a whole lot like David Lynch. <laughs> We'll be back next month or the month after with something. This is not the end. It will happen again. <laughs> We're just like our schedules get all over the place and then figuring out what to talk about. And uh, I, I just started a new job, which I didn't tell you about. You know, I, I just started a coffee house job. <laughs> oh, congrats. I knew you were like, I think you said a while ago that you were planning on possibly pursuing that. Yes. And I'm possibly pursuing Well, I finally did because I need to pay for my house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a thing. Yes, well, it is. Ever, whatever you got to do, man, get on that grind. And pun intended. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, pun intended. Oh, jeez. <laughs> In any case, thanks again for listening. Our contact information will uh, be with the music. Uh, we hope you are all doing well. Give it, drop us a line. We might respond. A lot of the time, we don't. I apologize. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's like the thing, we're, we're worse at that than we are scheduling times to record. Yeah! But we really appreciate anyone who says hi. We're, we're better at getting back to people on Twitter than elsewhere. Yeah, I think the thing is, like, it's it's hard, uh, I can't hook up the tweet deck to my, like, fucking Twitter at work, uh, which is where I'm on Twitter 90%, because I, I have to be on Twitter for my job. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm on there 90% of the time when I'm at work, um, and then I just don't want to look at it when I get home. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I can't get on Tumblr at work because too many of my friends post on tagged porn. So. <laughs> there's it, that. Yeah, and with, with the stuff on Tumblr, like, it, I'm not always good about recognizing when the, there's, like, a notification that, oh, you got a message, and then I'll see one, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll get to that. And then I never get you to never it. Do. Yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah, we apologize. Um, just it, it'd be okay if one of us was good at it, but we're yeah. both so bad. We're both so bad. <laughs> oh well, we'll see. Our apologies are all we have to offer. Yeah, our apologies are all we have to offer. Um, thanks again for listening. I know I've said that many times now. It's our. It's my way of showing gratitude. <laughs> Yeah, sticking with us, we didn't. I don't think we even mentioned it through these hundred episodes. These these four these years, four years of us doing this. Yes, and uh, I still miss Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, God, I do too. See you on the flip side. <laughs> Good night. I was trying to go up with some sort of sign off. Good night. This has been a matter of taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us. Email us at a matter of taste podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AOMOT Podcast. Find full episode posts at a matter of And follow us as a matter of taste podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. Yeah,